It's the best. Checking board chatter Friday. It's raining in East Tennessee. Unfortunately, sad times have been had over the last 48 hours after the performances by both the Lady Vols and the men and during the ACC-SEC Challenge. To the left, you know him. It's Ryan. To the right, it's Noah. This guy. Let's get things started. Boys, I want to talk football. We might sprinkle in margarita salt around the rim of margarita on basketball talk. Gentlemen, eight and four. You dominate Vanderbilt. And now questions begin. Who's coming back? Who's leaving? Who's transferring? Where are you going bowling? Ryan, I'll just get started with you because you're to the left of the screen and the eyes immediately focus that direction. You're eight and four this year. Huh? Uh, uh, where are you? I mean, I don't want to call it a failure. I don't want to call it a disappointment, but there were some goals that were not met. What say you? To me, eight and four was the floor going into the year. There's a lot of talk. Ten and two, if everything breaks the right way. Nine and three, a little bit more realistic maybe. But I think going into the year, most people said eight and four is the floor. This team's not going to be any worse than that. So the fact that you hit the floor definitely means that's not a thumbs up. But the fact that you didn't go below the floor and you didn't necessarily go too far below expectations, I think lands you in the the so-so middle where there was a lot that I wanted to accomplish. Joe Milton hands out the Beats headphones to everyone at the beginning of the year, and it says, yeah. first, let's go win the SEC East. Well, you play Florida a couple weeks into the season, and pretty quickly that's not fully taken off the table, but a big blow to your chances is. And that kind of was the, the story of the season where they were there, they were in position to maybe do something. You go into Alabama – take a big lead at halftime and you only have one loss. Maybe this season could turn into something big and then that falls apart. You go into Missouri. Okay. It's still a two loss team. You can get a lot of momentum heading into Georgia and then that falls apart. So to me, it was a so-so season. It could have been worse. It could have been uh, way worse than eight and four. Just 10 years ago, people were begging for an eight and four season in Knoxville, but it also could have been a lot better. Noah, where are you at on the highs and the lows of 2023? Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with everything Ryan just said. Um, you know, eight and four did feel like the floor for this team. Didn't feel like they were going to be any worse than that. I, I was on the 10 and two train. Uh, felt not like nine and three was very realistic, but 10 and two, I felt with, you know, having you know, your experienced quarterback back and, and Joe Milton, some of those receivers, a lot of veteran guys, a couple of veteran guides there anyway. Thought the defense would improve, and they did for, you know, the first half of the season, it looked like. Um, I, I don't think eight and four, like, like Ryan just mentioned, you know, a few years ago, you, People would have killed for that, you know, eight wins, uh, have a chance to win nine here in the bowl game. Um, but I, I feel like when you look at a little bit closer at some of those games, that, that Florida loss is going to one that kind of haunted them throughout the year. That'll be one you kind of look back on and, and scratch your head about the way they lost against Alabama when things kind of unraveled in the third quarter, when you had all the momentum going into the half. And then Missouri, you just largely looked uncompetitive in that game. Uh, so I think there is a reason to be disappointed a little bit with with the way those four losses, at least three of those four losses shook out. Georgia's just a whole different animal. But um, you got to look closer to at the injuries and what they were able, you know, the offensive line, all the shifting you had to do up front there, losing Brew McCoy, you know, before the month of October even started. Dante Thornton was turning a corner. You lose him in the Missouri game uh, after he scores his first touchdown at Tennessee. Uh, they, they had to put up with a lot. Um, I'm not using that as an excuse, of course, but I, I do yeah. think that that you did have to, to to navigate a lot of tough waters there. 
So eight and four, it could have definitely been worse. I think you look at it as a little bit of a disappointment, but, you know, look at it too as, as maybe kind of a rebuilding year after what you did last year. Both can be true. Can't You had some struggles, but then the injuries also at the end of the year kind of took over. Both can be true. It's not an excuse, but they both apply. I'm going to put you guys on the spot here. We were talking a lot about it was very, very vocal on the flagship this past week when we what was the high mark of the 2023 season for the University of Tennessee? I think the high mark was holding Texas A&M to nothing after the first drive and making this defense look like one of the best the conference had to offer. And sure. you're sitting in front of a checker, Neyland, with a win over a really talented roster, of course, A&M. Uh, perennially underachieved under Jimbo Fisher. And it was another season of that. He didn't even finish the whole year out. Right. But that's a very talented roster. And on a game where Joe Milton couldn't get it going, the offense couldn't get it going. The defense kind of gave you a lot of hope that maybe this is a really elite group. And towards the end of the year, that maybe slowed down a little bit. But to me, that was the high point of the season. It felt like he started to get that momentum building back up after the Florida loss heading into the back half of the schedule. And, uh, I mean, you, you could argue maybe the first half against Alabama was the high point, but I'll, I'll take the complete game victory over Texas A&M. Noah, what about you? Yeah, I, I would agree with Ryan there as well. I, I think just because it was kind of refreshing in a way. It was an, it was an ugly day for the offense, but – kind of refreshing to see a Josh Heupel Tennessee team win a game like that and yeah. kind of a, a slugfest old school type game. Uh, and it was the st start of an incredibly tough stretch for Tennessee. It kind of felt like going into that now that we know how it played out, but you, 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 you kind of felt like they have to win that game at home against Texas A&M. They did it like Ryan just mentioned with a very elite defensive performance, probably one of the most elite defensive performance Tennessee has had from any Tennessee team in a very long time. Right. Um, and then you, then you get D Williams and what special teams was able to do in that game to, to really flip, you know, really change the momentum there when it felt like Tennessee yeah. wasn't able to, to capitalize on anything. So I, I would definitely agree with that one. I'll throw another one in there, though. Kentucky, um, not one of the, the better Kentucky teams. Mark Stoops is, is probably put out, but Tennessee needed to win a road game because there was a narrative about how they performed on the road, uh, given that they had lost to Florida earlier in the year a team they probably should have beaten, that definitely should have beaten. Um, but you go on the road against Kentucky. Lexington, despite Tennessee's success there, has been tough to, to win it or pull out a win. There are a lot of close games there the last right. few visits. They were able to do that. Uh, Joe Milton, you know, a guy that, that kind of won that game for them, and along with Dylan Sampson, to run out the clock there at the end when they needed it the most. So I would definitely say Texas A&M is, is 1A, and, and probably that Kentucky win is 1B. This might be crazy, and 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 I and maybe I'm on a minority island by myself here. The highlight of the season for me was South Carolina, and, here, and here's the reason why: because there was all that receipt, there was all that will they, won't they? Look what we did to you. What are you going to do to us? Spencer Rattler smoking a stogie after beating Tennessee Clinton Clemson consecutive weeks. You go in there. You stare at them across the field and go, okay, I have friends that are performers. They're friends that are a part of this fan base. And one of them actually had to cut out singing for two weeks because he was so hoarse from yelling after the South Carolina game. Point being is this. 
you had Spencer Rattler at the end of that game going, well, this is their Super Bowl, so we can't. I mean, you kicked dirt <laughs> on him, and he was still mouthing off after you buried him. So being able to, you had a lot of receipt games this year. Bama was a receipt game. Carolina was a receipt game. Florida was a receipt. You didn't do really well in receipt games. But Carolina, you could not go 0-2 in conference play. Okay, for all the reasons, that's why I brought that up quickly because I got a th- if I got a lot of things I want to tear through we got some exercises I want to tear through was Florida the low point of this year or was it Missouri I said in July Tennessee would beat Florida by 10 points and I still have Florida fans in my mention probably as we record this right now going chomp 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 what'd you think about that and then it's really easy for me to be like you're not going to a bowl game ha 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 or was it the Peter Pants Florida game? I think it was Missouri just because of the way that the offense came okay. out and just crapped themselves. You have the lowest point total under Josh Heupel. Uh, you, you find the end zone just one time and it's on a, a third down where you just take a shot to the end zone and Dante Thornton makes a great play. And outside of that, your offense does nothing. And the Florida game, it's against, obviously, a much worse team than Missouri. Missouri, uh, surprisingly, one of the better teams in the SEC this season. And by that point in the year, they they were at full steam playing really good football. Cody Schrader, Brady Cook, uh, you you can go down the roster, guys, that were kind of at the peak of their season in that game. But just the way the offense came out and looked flat for 60 minutes – I think made it the low point for me. And because going into that game too, you still felt like you had a lot in front of you. Uh, Like I said, at the top of the show, you win that game and you head into a matchup with Georgia with two losses in Neyland stadium. You feel really good. You just beat a really good Missouri team. You're scratching at the the door of the top 10 and it maybe changes a little bit about how that game goes. I'm not saying that's going to be the difference in beating this Georgia team, but, but maybe that Georgia game, has a little bit of extra juice to it. So to me, it was that just because of how poorly the offense played at at Florida. At least you had a little bit of offense production. Missouri for you as well, Noah. Yeah, I'd go Missouri. I I think with some of the points Ryan just mentioned as well, um, the Florida game, you know, it's early in the year. You don't really know how that Florida team is going to turn out on the road, a place Tennessee has has had very little success in for the last 20 years. Um, Plus he, you look at Billy Napier teams and that's not a good team. You know, obviously you just mentioned they're, they're not in a bowl game. There's been this weird thing in his tenure, the last two seasons where they've won some random game at home that they shouldn't have Utah last year, Tennessee just happened to be that team. And and as Ryan just said, they were competitive in that game, despite as bad as that second quarter went for Tennessee that allowed Florida to, that really decided the game. I think Florida scored a field goal the rest of the game after the first half. Um, as bad as that second quarter was, Tennessee had opportunities to, to come back in that game, even in the last few minutes. So it was it was a bad loss looking back. It was a it wasn't a great loss at the time either. But that Missouri game, it, they did just fall flat. It just didn't seem like they were very competitive in a game. They had a lot to play for. Now, they didn't know it at the time because Georgia destroyed Ole Miss that night. But the SEC East was still on the line as that game was being played. And for Tennessee to come out, and again, I mentioned Dante Thornton earlier, a guy who was turning the corner, that was a low point too. He, he seemed to be really clicking in this offense, and then you lose him for the rest of the game. And then you got to make – it's kind of a, a story of the season for Tennessee. you got to make some changes there, shuffle some guys at receiver. 
you know, last minute. But I, I would go with that Missouri game, just like Ryan said. They just – the offense didn't look very competitive in that game. The one play that's going to stick out to me is trying is, – is trotting um, Charles Campbell out there and trying to get a, a very meaningless field goal very late. It was just kind of like that just yeah. summed up that, that yeah. kind of performance for Tennessee. Uh, I brought this up on the pregame show in front of the live audience when we were getting ready for the Vanderbilt game. <laughs> and the four losses this year for Tennessee, they were outscored 67 to six in the second half. Mm. Remember, you were shut out in the second half by Missouri, by Georgia, and by um uh why would blank on the and Alabama? Thank you. That yeah, you know, that's cool. Yeah. Alabama, Florida, Alabama, Georgia, Missouri shut you out. And as you mentioned, Tennessee only scored six points in the second half of the game. So 67 to six and four losses in the second half. That's not nothing, boys. Uh, I'll tear through these real quick. By the way, if you're joining us, this is the recap of the 2023 Tennessee football season. I got Ryan and Noah here. We'll speed through this. Anybody say no to Jalen Wright being the offensive MVP for this year? I, I mean, if we're going to put on our bow ties like it's the offensive <laughs> argue that Jalen Wright is not the team's MVP this year? No. Offense, no. Offensive no. MVP. Yeah, he, he left 100%. Okay. Defensive MVP, Noah? Yeah. Yeah, we talked about this the other day, Ryan and I, and, and I uh, went with Tyler Barron. I, I think that, that he's your, your defensive Ooh. MVP. MVP. Uh, I really liked how the coach is kind of going back to the spring. You know, obviously a guy that Tennessee, I think in the preseason when we talked – we said Tyler Barron's going to need to be a guy that needs to step up on that defensive line. Mm-hmm. Um, you lost Byron Young, who, who was a big leader there. Uh, didn't lose a lot up front, but you need, you knew you needed him to come in and play well. Coaching staff raved about it in the spring and fall camp about his new approach, how he yeah. uh, he's kind of changed his his attitude and everything. And then you saw it on the field. I mean, he was he was as big of an impact on that defense as anybody. And um, a Tennessee defensive line that played really well last year it was the, it was the strong strongest position on that side of the ball and they proved it again this year and I'd have to go with him I, I think that just as a leader he stepped up and then obviously what he was able to give you stats wise every game I mean he was very consistent uh so that, that would be my guy but you can make some arguments for some other guys uh James Pierce being one but I, I would say Tyler Barron would be mine where are you leaning on this one quickly Ryan I'm gonna go with Aaron Beasley because if I'm looking wow. at if I'm looking there at who's valuable player is I'm yeah. looking at a position that was absolutely decimated by injuries. Yes. One game into the season, Keenan Peely's gone. You lose a reserve guy in Arian Carter halfway through the year, or I guess more towards the end of the year, but it's just a position that didn't have a lot of depth. You have Elijah Herring starting pretty much every game and yeah. he's just a sophomore and maybe he wasn't ready for that job. And then behind him, you have essentially two true freshmen and a, a sophomore and, and those guys also didn't necessarily seem fully ready to be able to to take over that big of, of a workload. So Aaron Beasley came in and, and had a really solid season and kind of was the glue of that linebacker room and kept it together throughout this year. But if I had to give an honorable mention, Kamal Haddon for the first half of this year. I mean, what a step he took in his development. Can't be MVP playing half a season. Okay. But if he if he does that for 12 games, that that's incredible. I said James Pierce, and I'll move on for this reason. You said Kamal Haddon. Would he be your most improved player for 2023? I would, I would say so. 
Yeah, so here's a reason why I pulled this in. You bring up a good point, Noah, about Tyler Barron, and you, Ryan, bring up a great point about Kamal Haddon because they go together almost as if like we were working this out. <laughs> Defensive player for me is James Pierce because my most improved player, he went through a full season healthy and he reset his sack record four games into the year. It's mm -hmm. Tyler Barron. You can't give him two. It's kind of like the MVP award. I know Christian McCaffrey should be the MVP, but they're not going to give it to him. So give the MVP to somebody else, but then make sure offensive player of the year is Chris. Both the most improved player. If you say Kamal Haddon and I say Tyler Barron, <laughs> Noah, what say you? If I said most improved player you think of, yeah, I mean, th those would be two picks I, I would have to go with. I'd probably say Barron for the same reasons I gave him MVP because you yeah. needed him to step up, and, and he obviously did that. And then, like Ryan mentioned, Kamal is, is another good one. I know we didn't get the whole year out of him, but, you know, that's a guy. You saw his trajectory. He was yeah. doing this when he Absolutely. hurt his shoulder against and, 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 and Tennessee needed that. He needed that personally because you look back to that South Carolina game last year. You go back to the beginning of this year against mm -hmm. Florida. That when Florida started to roll there in the second quarter, what kind of helped that it was when Trevor Etienne broke off a run and, and Kamal Haddon made a very poor attempt at a tackle. And he had to hear that stuff again. And how does he yeah, right. He made a business decision. Yeah, right. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah. when he comes back to, a few weeks later, you mentioned that South Carolina game. How, how is that the highest point of the game or yeah. highest point of the season for Tennessee? That's a relatively close game at halftime or before halftime. But, man, what's he do to put emphasis on Tennessee right. for that win is getting that pick six. So I, I would say if I had to pick between those two, I'd go Kamal Had. Unfortunately, we get the whole year to see that improve that trajectory, like you mentioned. But I, I would say Kamal Had and Tyler Barron would be my two. Last one, who was the fresh face? Who was the newcomer, transfer portal, freshman? Who was the guy who, when you saw him, you went, yep, that's him. Since I sprung this on you, I'll give you a second to think. I'll give you mine. Don't think it's nuts. I think he was. Anytime you needed a field goal from within 49, the guy was money. It's it's Tex. The guy loves wearing cowboy hats and he loves fresh Mexican food. It's Charles Campbell. It's Charles Campbell. I love the story because he's a Tennessee guy, Indiana, transfers back. His brother finds out he's coming. He's just like, oh my God, my brother. I'm going to be a ball. He's going to be a ball. Running through the tee. Guys just, how many times this year were you in the red zone and you went, Man, give him six. Just no. And then you stopped and go. Wait, this was so unique. We're talking about offense, offense, offense. No, give me three and let my defense come in here and take care of me in certain situations. To me, it's Charles Campbell. What say you guys? Anybody? Anybody? Uh, if you're gonna talk about Charles Campbell, I think you got to give a quick nod to Jackson Ross. That's a. Well. We had plenty of people say Jackson Ross, Jackson Ross, Jackson Ross. Yeah. Special teams this year you could argue was the best unit. But no, there's nothing wrong with that because we had plenty of listeners who said, Aussie, Aussie, Aussie. Yes, yes, yes. Which is cool too after the start to a season that that went so poorly in Hypo saying we trust him and it ended out. He bet on the right guy because he had a great season. Right. True freshman, Arian Carter, uh, showed flashes before his injury. Was a guy that, that, like I said earlier, maybe wasn't fully ready to play this many snaps as a true freshman. But when he got his opportunity, he played at full speed and I thought he did a – a pretty good job before getting banged up. Uh, so a guy that maybe showed flashes for the future, and then a transfer that came in made a big impact, John Campbell Jr. at tackle. Loved what he did, uh, was a big part of this offensive line. A lot of questions on this O-line, a lot of injuries, and he was one of those guys that was banged right. up at the end of the season. Yeah. But when he was healthy, 
I thought he was one of, if not the best pieces on that O-line. Yeah, I, I was, I, I was going to go with John Campbell Jr. for yeah. mine as well, given, you know, what they went through up front. You really needed a veteran guy up there with some experience, and, and he delivered that for you, especially early on. I know different positions, but Cooper Mays being out, you kind of needed a guy that, that's been in big games before, that's played a lot of football. Obviously, he didn't do it at Tennessee coming from Miami, but I think his experience was valuable. Um, I think he was he was a big part of that offensive line, being able to kind of weather the storm when they had so many pieces kind of moving around. Um, but I, I I didn't think about Campbell when you mentioned that. But that's, that's a good pick, too, because I said that Kentucky win was up there with one of the highest points of the season. And he's a big reason why. I mean, that's where most of your scoring came from in that game. So that, that was a very good pick. Just a pinch. I wanted to see more consistency out of Dallas. had an opportunity to be so much more massive, but maybe there's an opportunity down the line for there. Uh, Noah Ryan checkerboard chatter. Guys, it's COVID eligibility season. Do you know what the most difficult part of our job is? And if you say, no, there's other important parts, I'm going to say you're a liar. I'm going to say you're a liar. You don't know what you're talking about. Do you know how much flack I catch, whether it's on social, whether it's on the microphone, whether it's on the TV? With the COVID year, I can't remember who's what eligible because of transfer mm-hmm. portals because of it. How do you not know he's a red shirt 12th year senior getting his not doctorate? <laughs> you're an idiot. You should know you're a sportscaster. First of all, do me a favor, Kid Frog. Second of all, you tell me if you know this. I'm going to give you nine players in three series. The old start bench cuts if you listen to the old uh, Tyler's and Wills here locally. I'm going to pop up nine players' names who are COVID eligible to return or going by the yays and the nays. We'll start easy. All three of these players are eligible to return in 2024 if they choose to do so. Ryan, who's the most important? Who's the bench? Who's the cut? And show your work. We got about seven minutes to get through nine names. Go. I think you got in the right order right there. I'll start. Really? And then Peely, bench gave Drew Lolly and cut Jabari Small. First, cut Jabari Small just because of the, the way that running back room's shaping up. Jalen Wright, we'll see, could be an NFL guy. If he comes back, obviously running back one. They feel good about Dylan Sampson if he needs to be RB1. And then Cam Selden coming in at, uh, in his freshman year. They feel Really good about what he can do. Peyton Lewis, a true freshman. Your running back room set. At linebacker, not so much. Aaron Beasley out of eligibility. Okay, well, now we have some of these younger faces. Maybe you go to the portal. Well, if you can get Keenan Peely in there to be your middle linebacker, a guy that's uh, yeah. Noah's age, essentially. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I mean, you probably feel pretty good about oh, that position. God. Uh, <laughs> grown man who's married with kids and he's like no he's he, that's essentially noah noah loves batman so much noah leaves from behind the computer and turns into keenan peely and he's just like yeah uh, i'm here to we, tackle people we, we joke all the time that keenan peely and i are, are just so much alike in, in every way uh <laughs> ryan that might be one of the funniest damn things that have been said on this thing and i'm not even that funny so the bar was set low and you just shot it so that's funny that's funny keep going but, but, yeah, I, I think having that guy at linebacker w- would be a big deal. And, and Gabe Drew Lolly, he's had a great season. Sure. I thought he stepped in a, as a really solid starter. But you maybe have 
some more room to work with that defensive back cornerback than that linebacker. All right, Noah, go ahead, Batman. Tell me what you tell me. Go ahead and start Keenan Peely. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. It's going to be hard to argue with with anything Ryan just said. I, I think uh, with the pieces you lose, I mean, it's going to be good at linebacker. I think in the long run that you did have to have Elijah Carter, or sorry, Elijah Herring play so much this year that Arian Carter before he got hurt was playing a lot. I think that'll pay off next year. But Keenan, yeah. if you do get Keenan Peely back, you do get that anchor uh, at linebacker in Aaron Beasley's absence. Uh, I think that helps. Gabe Judulale, like he said, came on when he earned that starting role. Um, you do have more pieces to work with in the secondary, but, it, you know, that was where Tennessee struggled the most the last couple of years was in the secondary. So I think having, you know, a veteran guy, a guy that's played a lot at this point there, coming back would help. But it, it's hard to argue about that running backs room right now. Um, you know, obviously we'll find out what Jalen Wright decides to do, but that, that, that was such a solid group this year. And unfortunately, Jabari – um, as much as he's done in, in the last few years, just kind of became that third third man in that group with what Dylan Sampson and, and Jalen Wright did. Uh, a little tough. There's still one more. So if you think that we're going the elevator, we still have one more. I'll go. I'll go. Who wants I'll... to take a crack at this one? I'll start. I think there's a clear path, but but this is what that's why we have three people do this. I think there's a clear path, but maybe not. I'll, I'll start Javante Spragans, bench Wesley Walker, and cut Danico Slaughter. Javante Spragans, obviously, I, people. All right, in the portal, we need to go out. We need to get offensive linemen. Yeah, you sure. and every other team in the country <laughs> getting offensive linemen that have proven it at the SEC level that have played really solid throughout their career. I, I right. think that's irreplaceable. So anytime you give me an offensive lineman like that, who's a guy that could see his name called uh, in the NFL draft, uh, it could be a guy that that plays on Sundays. I think that you absolutely need to to take him uh, as fast as you can. And I'll take Wesley Walker because he was very consistent at safety, I felt like, this year. He, he was another guy that got banged up towards the end of the season. But that safety position was Jalen McCollum and Wesley Walker. And there was times where even when Tennessee was up a lot or down a lot and this bench starts to get cleared, there was two guys on that defense that did not get subbed out. And it was Wesley Walker and Jalen right. McCollum. And I think that tells you maybe a little bit about the trust they have in them, a little bit about their role on the defense, and a little bit about maybe who's behind them and who can replace right. them. Instead, you have a guy like Danico Slaughter who didn't start the season as a starter, replaced Kamal Haddon, did fine in that role. But like I said, with Gabe Judy Lawley compared to Aaron Beasley, I felt like maybe you have a little bit more at the cornerback position you're willing to work with than you do at the safety position. Noah, come on. Don't just, don't just say, ah, uh, yeah, that's right. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> well, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess just for the sake of changing this up a little bit, I will go. Real quick, before, you say it, before you say it, what? Ra Dude, what? Ra Ra Ryan's got the right order. Yeah. I just, I, but <laughs> And I'm not asking you to be contrarian. Yeah. I'm not asking you to Stephen A. Smith this. However, <laughs> it, Michael Jordan. No, I don't need that. If they were, kind of, because Spragans. Okay. If you think about it, Spragans. There were a lot of people who believed he was the best offensive lineman coming into this season, who had the highest NFL ceiling. I, I, look, this is going to sound so rough. Mm, this is going to come off different than it should. For Tennessee fans who watched Javante Spragans hurt his leg this year, 
I think not only does it benefit Tennessee fans, but I think it benefits him because he can come back next year, get a full 12 games, and all of a sudden we might be talking about him being the highest drafted player in 2025. Yeah. Just me. Didn't want to come off and be like, you're hoping <laughs> for injuries. Well, I think his checking account also wants to see another 12 yeah. games. Just me. No, I'd, I'd go with Spragans first easily. I mean, if anybody, if any team knows how valuable offensive linemen, experienced offensive, right. offensive linemen are, it's Tennessee. And I think that goes for any team. I mean, like Ryan just mentioned, that's since the transfer portal, that, that's been the hottest commodity. Everybody, fans assume you could just go in and grab any offensive lineman you want out of there. There's a reason why coaches and players and just fans want play. offensive linemen. Right. You know? And I think if you have a chance to get him back, especially right. a player like Spragans, that's massive. So I, I would definitely go him first. I mean, it's hard to argue with what, you know, Ryan's argument on, on Wesley Walker. I know when he would put together, you know, the, the PFF grades and the snap counts and you're looking at him every Sunday and you're like, God, did, did these guys, did Walker ever come out of the game? Um, that, that hard to argue that, that having him back would be huge because obviously the coaching staff lo loves having him out there. They trust having him out there. But so I, I will agree with that, the order Ryan had as well. Uh, but I, I did like what Slaughter was able to do when he came in there in, in the place of Haddon. Um, I think you got to see him do that last year before the Kentucky game when he kind of transitioned again to, uh, to corner. Um, I, I, uh, I would agree with his order, but I, I would make it, I could see an argument for Danico being the, the bench guy, I guess, in this scenario. Are you ready, boys? Mm. God. <clears throat> oh god <laughs> Jeez. uh ryan hold ryan hold no no ryan ryan hold back on this one okay. no, go ahead you want me to go for, okay well I'm, i'll say cooper mays I'll, i mean i made the argument just now for for spragans how valuable offensive linemen are so and we saw when he came back from that injury how much they improved and just how valuable he was up there again so i'm gonna go cooper I'm going to go Dylan Sampson in the second spot because we don't know right now what Jalen Wright's going to do. Um, Before anybody says anything else, yes, I realize this that Dylan has more than just one year of eligibility. I don't need some jabroni being like, this guy, <laughs> they have a chance to come back whether they want more money from another school or because COVID said they could. Enough, go. Yeah, so I'm Cooper Mays is my, my first one, Dylan Sampson second. It's really tough to say Brew McCoy third. Uh, because I think if we had got if he didn't have that injury against South Carolina, that the offense would have been a lot better the rest of the season. Not, uh, but that, that's 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 my order. Brew McCoy was good for a win this year for the University of Tennessee. I hate to do this, but I'm going to cut. Dylan You're not going to copy him. I'm going to cut Dylan Sampson. Whoa! Uh, wait! 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought you were gonna. I thought you were gonna copy completely. If no. anything, if anything, I thought you were gonna start Dylan Bench Cooper. No, I, I, and dude, I'm just, dude. We've got like three minutes left, and you're cutting Dylan Sampson. Oh, go ahead. I'll shut up. Go. I'm looking at positions of need. I'm starting Cooper Mays once again. I, I think offensive linemen in college football are irreplaceable. If you get yourself an All SEC caliber center, you need to keep him on the roster if you can. I'm starting Cooper Mays. We saw what this offense looked like with Ollie, with Ollie Lane at center. We saw what this offense looked like with Cooper Mays at center. It was a big difference. Getting talent like that on the O-line is very important. Then I look at position of need. Like we said earlier with Jabari Small, you, 
even if Jalen Wright's an NFL guy, if Dylan Sampson is the portal, I'd be surprised if Jabari Small wasn't here, and you probably feel pretty confident about him. If it's not Jabari Small, Cam Seldon is a really good option. Peyton Lewis is a good option. Yeah. They talked very highly about Khalifa Keith. You have guys at running back. I don't want to take anything away from Jalen Wright's 1,000-yard season, from Dylan Sampson helping seal the Kentucky game and all of this, but it's also a system that probably sets up running backs better than a lot of schools in the country do just with the way they play with, you know, they're going to run the ball when they move the chains on first down and you're still picking up six or seven yards because of the tempo. Dylan Sampson's a great player. I, I really hope that, that he's back uh, just selfishly to be able to watch him play because he's a great athlete and a great player. But out of these three guys, I, I think you have to prioritize a wide receiver over a running back just because we saw what this team looked like when it started to get thin at wide receiver. And you're probably going to get some help from the portal. You have a guy like Mike Matthews, a five-star coming in who can make an instant impact, be one of those true freshmen that that does a lot. But getting Brew McCoy back, I think, would be a little bit more important than Dylan Sampson. I have a feeling if we did a start bench cut of Santa's reindeer, you would cut Rudolph. Like, that's just like, that's the vibe I'm getting from you right now. Start comment, blitz, blitz, or bench blitz and cut Rudolph. It's like, what? What? It's, but here's the thing I don't like people who just throw sizzle hot take bacon pan grease out there and not show their work. Ryan, you showed your work and I appreciate you for that. We got about 60 seconds. Anybody here say no to Jackson? Okay. Well, I should let me rephrase the question. Anybody here that doesn't believe it, it's Jacksonville. Okay, it's Jacksonville. Anybody <laughs> here not believe it's North Carolina? No, I, I feel pretty safe. Yes or no, does the site change if Alabama beats Georgia tomorrow night? Probably not. It could. That would be the one wrench, but probably you're still looking at that matchup. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. I think it's it's a pretty safe bet at this point. Um, it'd be interesting to see some of that shakeup. Especially if now from a fan standpoint, um, I you may get a better matchup in in say an Outback. I'm sorry, a ReliaQuest Bowl in Tampa. You know, no, no, you call it the Outback Bowl. We yeah. not call it, we call we eat blooming onions at 11 a.m. on this show. Yes, we call it the Outback Bowl. Yeah, I mean you that it, it's been floating around that Notre Dame could end up there because of that whole contract and the with the Big Ten and the, and all that and the Orange Bowl or, or whatever it is. That if you're a fan, that's a that's a lot more intriguing matchup to me. And in North Carolina, I don't know what Drake May's decision is going to be. It seems to be that he's not going to play. <laughs> um, I, I think that uh, yeah, that we have no idea. Yeah, yeah. right. <laughs> that, but that takes away a lot of the luster of that that matchup too. But if you're a Tennessee secondary, you may not want to see him either. But um, I, I would say if you're a fan, that if Alabama does beat Georgia that you may want to root for that that Outback Bowl matchup with Notre Dame. And I, I know from a coverage standpoint, I'd probably prefer that myself. But I, I still feel pretty good about the, about the Gator Bowl with North Carolina, regardless of tomorrow night's result. You know, you know how you juice up a Tennessee postseason bowl? Put them in the same game as Notre Dame. Yeah. I get those two fan bases. I don't, they could play at the YMCA next to Westtown Mall. They're going to bring a six-pack, and they're going to tailgate in the parking lot while a kid's walking out from doing his free-throw shooting drills or whatever they do over there these days. It's Noah. It's Ryan. They're both on the nice list, if I've ever seen so much. He was almost on the naughty list. He was.
I'm going to tell you right now, Ryan was almost on the naughty list, but he cut Dylan Sampson. Dylan Sampson's mom, if she watches this, is just like, cut my baby boy. Why are you doing that? Um, I want to chat with you guys one more time before Jacksonville, before they take on North Carolina, because um, I'm catching a lot of heat locally here on the station. Surprise. I know. Shocker. Um, nothing that performance against Vanderbilt. I think it's pretty obvious why. We'll talk about it another time. I'm going to let you guys go. That's Ryan. That's Noah. Tyler. Checkerboard chatter. Read what these guys write. They are very talented at what they do. Some of them drive over to North Carolina and then come back in the same night like a psychopath. So you know yeah. it's good stuff. I don't know how he does it, but he does it because he's dressed as Keenan Peely and then he goes into a phone booth and he comes out and he's... <laughs> Ryan, I, now I'm going to find something that's funnier than that. I don't know if I'm going to be able to. <laughs> Boys, happy holidays. We'll chat very soon. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.